Wait, should we start it with... Alrighty then! Is that bad? Don't you ever do that again. I was like... <laughs> it was fine. I feel like there's so many, like, topical... What's another one? Smoking. Yeah, like your apartment yeah. yesterday. Oh, boo. Lehu Anything else? What's, what else is a good one? Kill me. Oh, no, that's me. That's, that's my you, catchphrase. That's you that's, every that's day. That's me. Yeah, yeah, Every yeah. day of my life. Uh, hi, welcome. Hi, Gavin. Hi, Louie. It's me, Louie. It's me, Gavin. From your dreams. <laughs> I'm here. Oh, good. We're finally doing Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm here to murder you. <laughs> yeah. But like in a homoerotic way. Yeah, well, yeah. This is part two. Not, the, not the other movies. Yeah, fuck no. <laughs> Ew. Uh, welcome to the Mixed Reviews. Hi, guys. We're a podcast about movies where we pick a subject. We like... Pick the best and yeah. the worst. We learn a little bit. We, like, force ourselves to sit in that chair from Clockwork Orange for two weeks, oh. having the movies pumped into our brain. Right, right. And then we I'm, come at you with some facts. I'm always aroused, though. Oh, yeah. Always. Yeah, hard as a rock. Especially last week, last episode, with yeah. Miss Legendary Icon herself, Miss Rita Moreno. So, I, I have a bone to pick with El Media. El Media? Uh... They began reporting, because she was on Wendy Williams, mm-hmm. uh, the story about her saying yep. that Marlon Brando is a better lover than Elvis. That's been out forever. Forever. Bitch, please. She's been saying that since time immemorial. Yeah. So, That's not breaking news. No, not at all. We reported it last week. You should listen to our show instead of watching yep. Wendy Williams. I mean... Can we talk? Yeah. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Mm. Um... Rita is that queen who is going to spill the fucking tea on Elvis and what a shitty fucking lady. Yeah, Exactly. Um, Love me tender. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> Speaking of spilling the tea, uh, we asked you guys, what was your favorite Rita Moreno f- um, movie? 50% coming out on top was West Side Story. Um, your pick was The Ritz. It came out with 29%. My pick was I Like It Like That. came out with 21%. Um, and no one chose others. So, I mean, like, I think we were pretty spot yeah. on. I feel with- like we we c- kind of culled together yeah. the best performances. Um I'm actually surprised how many people had seen The Ritz and vote for The Ritz. Yeah, same with I Like It Like That, which yeah. I cannot, like, stop talking about, like... And all are worthy watches, mm-hmm. so... Anything Rita touches. Yeah, gold. it's gold. Gold got, down. Got a little further, and haven't, still haven't gotten to the end of season two, because let me tell you, getting people to sit down in my apartment and watch a TV show is, like... One I don't day know, at a time? Yeah, hurting cats. Mm. But I got a little further in it, and I must admit, still so good. Did you cry your face off? No, not yet. I did get to the the PTS episode, like the mm. big anti-depression episode. Yeah, I was yeah. like, do it. <laughs> facts are facts, America. Yeah, facts are facts. Um, just a quick PSA. We are like eating lots of popcorn that I just made because I'm a little bit drunk. Um, <laughs> Which is funny because how are you possible? Like yesterday... We're at a Eurovision party. Yes, we were. Which is essentially, like, what, eight hours of drinking? Day, day drinking. drinking. Yeah, yeah. All day long. How are you functioning? Because, like, basically all I did yesterday was drink pineapple juice, booze, and sausage. Was sausage! The, was the food. Yeah. And yeah. today all I've had is pizza and Tums. So, like, wow, okay. Yeah. So this is 30, like, <laughs> pizza, Tums. Like, I love it. I'm here now as a 30-year-old. I feel that in a very aggressive way. Yeah. I um, use my baby. <laughs> I use my movie pass for the first time today. Just got her. That's good because you probably won't have much longer to use it. So. You, facts are facts. That's correct. <laughs> um, I went and saw I Feel Pretty starring Amy Schumer. Ah, uh, excellent. And the incredible talent of Michelle Williams. Oh, yeah. I heard she's actually... I have heard of the good things I've heard of that movie. Michelle that Williams. Yeah, Michelle She Williams. is the true star. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've also heard A.D. Bryant is completely misused and yeah, underused. Yeah, 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 yeah Oh, yeah. for sure. Um, the Michelle Williams episode is coming soon. Oh, she, I hope. She, it better, <laughs> yeah, it better exactly. be. 
Um, but yeah, I'm feeling fine, fresh, fierce, like good, ready to slay this episode, which is Jim Carrey. I know, and so as you can hear from uh, Gavin's voice, he's <laughs> super excited for this episode. I have spent two weeks with Mr. Carrey, and let me tell you. That may be too long. It was two weeks too long. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I we were look, discussing like who we would cover this week, um, and there wasn't a lot of people coming no. out with movies. It's kind of like a dry period. Um, but actually, Jim Carrey has a new movie out. I don't think it was this week, but maybe like in the coming week. I think it came out the previous week, but it's been out on DirecTV. If you have DirecTV, it's been out for a month. So Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a DirecTV original. Um, also, uh, just to tell you how good it is, it was, uh, made in 2016. No, you're fucking lying. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's been sitting on a shelf. It's sitting on a shelf. Same right. in Charlotte Gainsborough, which, like, hmm. I love her, so I don't know. I did not I, watch it. I could not find it either, so, hey, I could not find a theater playing it. I could not, like... Could not do it. I, um, we live in New York City. Just <laughs> telling you now. Is that what so, we are? Yeah, so if you're in rural Iowa... <laughs> You good will luck. never see this good, movie. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Um, but I convinced Gavin that we should do it. Complicated guy, maybe controversial pick. Yeah. But I think there's enough of us out there who have grown up with these movies, um, maybe remember our first time watching Ace Ventura, The Mask, all that stuff. Um, and so I thought it was a good, good time to revisit, reprocess, mix up some reviews. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, regardless of how you feel about him, I do feel like he is a good episode subject. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, He's had an interesting career. That's a very good, vague Vague. word (laughs) to say about Mr. No, too vague. (laughs) Too vague. Um, With that being said, let's jump into the rewind. Okay. So, Jim Carrey is from Newmarket, Ontario, so he's a Canadian. Yes. We have our hat of the north to help, um, to, to thank for, um, I believe Mr. They, Carrey. I believe they call them a took over there, is that it? What'd it, you call me? Yeah. Oh, sorry. A t- you gotta watch yourself. <laughs> Hello. Um, he was, uh, born in Ontario to a homemaker, uh, Percy Carey, and... Uh, who was a musician. Oh, it's Kathleen and Percy. Um, and Percy was a musician and accountant. Yeah. He was raised Roman Catholic and has three older siblings. Um, his mom is French, Irish, and Scottish. And um, his father is French-Canadian. His father's a rubber band. He's an actual rubber band. A, a little putty, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Um, so he lived in Ontario. And he, since a young age, wanted to be in the show business. Um, there's a really great story about a 10 years old, Carrie wrote a letter to the Carol Burnett show, um, and saying he could do so many impressions and was ready to be considered for a part in the show. And he just received, you know, like kind of very blah, like headshot with saying, thanks of your work. <laughs> um, but he was, you know, he, he grew up in Can- Canada. I was going to say Canada, like an yeah. idiot. He grew up in Canada. Um, so while Kerry was struggling to obtain work and make a name for himself, his father tried to help the young comedian put together a stage act. So he would drive him to Toronto and he made his debut at the comedy club, The Yuck Yuck. <laughs> uh, Carrie's impersonations bombed and gave him doubts about his capabilities as a career. And, um, at the same time, his father and his parents, they were all just like having very serious, um, financial struggles. And Carrie made a really, um, like, awesome speech at a college, like, a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, just talking about how his father gave up his life as a musician to become an accountant. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant, 
And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. My father was not only the funniest man in the room, but he was a fantastic saxophone player. And before I was born, he had an orchestra in Toronto. But, you know, in order to be something special, you had to leave Canada and come down to the States and prove yourself in the States. He was a little bit afraid of that transition. And, and also he had a family to take care of, so he became an accountant. And uh, as time wore on, it wore him down, you know, it wore him down and he got a little bit bitter, especially when he lost his job when he was 51. Uh, that really broke him. Not only was he compromising to raise a family, but when you compromise and you fail, it really hurts. It hurts even more than failing at what you love. So that was an example for me. But a lot of people don't know this, but, uh... But when I was about 14 or 15, my father lost his job, and I actually became homeless for quite some time. Uh, of course, I grew up in Canada, so I thought we had just gone camping, you know. But, uh, uh, I learned that you can dark. fail at what you don't love, so you might as well do what you love. There's, there's really no choice to be made. So once they kind of, like, stabilized with their financial issues, uh, Jim Carrey came back to stage, and he would go to open mic nights, and re he would go to regular paid shows and he would build up his reputation, his career. Um, he eventually got a review in the Toronto Star um, that raved that he was a, quote, genuine star coming to life. Um, he was noticed by comedian Rodney Dangerfield. Maybe perhaps another episode down the, down yeah. the road? Yeah, the, the multi-stylings of Rodney Dangerfield. Truly, like, what what a, what yeah. a, what a, a true artist. The, the Laurence Olivier of no respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rodney Dangerfield was the one who signed, uh, Jim Carrey to go on tour with him and brought him to Las Vegas. Um, and that's once he was there, he decided to move to Hollywood and he began, uh, performing at the comedy store, which is like a very famous, uh, iconic place where a lot of up and coming, uh, comedians would, would, uh, do their work. And he has said before that he would go up there and like, try and figure out like what the audience wanted. And then at a certain point, I, I decided, I would be training with weights on. I'm not gonna have jokes. I'm just gonna get up on stage and sweat in front of the audience until something happens. Feel really good tonight. Really good. Excellent. I just wanna go. So I was just making sound. I was just doing things that were weird. And then I'd go home and I'd lay on my bed and I'd think, what do they want? What do they want? What do they want? What do they want? Okay, so let's practice. Okay. It wasn't what I wanted. I knew what I wanted. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be a famous actor, but what do they want? What do they want? What do they want? What do they want? And then one day in the middle of the night, I woke up out of a sound sleep, like sat up in bed and went, they want to be free from concern. <laughs> and the light bulb went off. And the very next night I went to the comedy store and the first thing I did was well, say, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and how are you this evening? All righty then. Like that. And it killed, slaughtered. Suddenly they just roared because they knew I didn't care. What I had decided in that moment in my bed was they need to be free from concern, so I'm going to be the guy 
that's free from concern. I'm going to appear to be the guy that's free from concern. It's as if I went into a fugue state and Hyde showed up. When I put that mask on, I can do anything. Be anything. I have a Hyde inside me that shows up when there are people watching. You know, when there's a thousand people with their eyes on me and they hand me a microphone, Jim goes away and Hyde comes out. You know, but it's a good hide. It's not a hateful hide. It's a loving hide that just wants everybody to party and have a good time. You know, uh, but but it's a hide nonetheless. And I feel like sometimes afterwards, like, damn, I lost control again. It was in 1982 that he appeared on um, his first televised stand-up show. It was an evening at the Improv, and in 1983 he uh, debuted his act on the Tonight Show, yeah. which really broke him through into the uh, bigger Hollywood scene. There's a documentary on Netflix, actually, uh, about... Uh, it's funny. It's actually about his performance as Andy Kaufman in the movie Man on the Moon. Right. But it goes through both of their careers. And he tells this really heartbreaking story about um, getting on The Tonight Show and telling his father about it. And his father was like, oh, cool. Maybe we can make something of this. And he was like, no. This is th- it. This is it. Yeah. Like, this is fame. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was around that time in 1980, 1981, he um, auditioned to be part of the cast of Saturday Night Live. Um, he was not selected. No. And this was around the time when the original cast had kind of, like, SNL was going through, like, really turmoil, you know, it was when the original so you, cast... you had, said 81, right, or...? Yeah, 80, 81 season. Yeah, so it would have been Dick Ebersol, too. Yeah. Like, with Lauren Michaels was out of the picture, Dick Ebersol had taken over, um, who would eventually be replaced by, uh, Lauren Michaels again later. Yeah. So, um... So, he was not selected, you know, to be part of the cast, um, which honestly, like, probably for the better... Yeah. Um, in 1984, he was in a short-lived sitcom called The Duck Factory. Which I've seen episodes of. I didn't revisit for this podcast, but when he was famous in the early 90s, they began showing it uh, early on like TNT or TBS as mm. when I was a kid, and I would see some of those episodes before I went to school. Yeah, and it was around that time in 1990 when he became a regular cast member for In Living Color. Yes. And that is truly what brought him into the forefront of Hollywood and the mainstream of America, because they saw him just acting a fucking fool. Right. Doing a lot of sketches that would not fly nowadays. Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, everyone should know about this. Excuse me. Excuse me. Gather around, everyone. In case some of you haven't heard... I'm gay. Oh, God, man. And if you have any questions or would like to discuss fashion, movie reviews, or just get a darn perm, feel free to just come by. Truly, the year that Jim Carrey broke the mold was 1994. 1994 was the year that he made his... Movie debut in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Well, not his movie debut, but oh, not like his, his starring. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. you're right. He, he did star, uh, he, not, he didn't star, but we also discussed, um, Hollywood Girls Are Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. Earth Girls Are Easy, sorry. Yeah. Um, he was in that, but the breakout. He did, he did a bunch of other movies before. Trust me, I tried watching some of them. We'll get to them later. Yeah, his breakout year, though, was 1994, and he was the lead in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. That year, also, he had The Mask come out, and then finally, Dumb and Dumber came out at the end of the year, and those movies made so much fucking money. Absolutely. He, it was literally like a, a star was born and a worldwide sensation. Those movies, especially because they were so slapsticky 
and broad. It was international. Like he was making hundreds of millions of dollars with these three movies in one year, which is insane. Um, and he won, um, yeah, he got his first nomination for a Golden Globe Award for a best actor in The Mask, um, which he starred in with a Cameron Diaz. Yes. Um, so 1984 was just like, he blew all the way fucking up. Um, in 1995, he starred in, uh, Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever. He was the Riddler, um, and he, which is the villain. And it was, <laughs> a, a, I like that you had to explain that. The Riddler, if you guys don't know. I guess if you could read it, then he's kind of the anti-hero of the movie. But. Right. <laughs> there is something to be said about his <laughs> starring role. <laughs> Going in, it's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> um, it, I liked the movie. Um, I think they're really fun. Uh, the next year also he reprised his role as Ace Ventura in When Nature Calls. Um, again, a huge box office success. Uh, and like literally the, the, there's, I don't, I don't know how much we need to like say about like his career just fucking took off. He was making, I will, I will admit there is a, it's not a, it's not a misstep in my opinion, but critical misstep. Uh, the next film he did, The Cable Guy, which was a real chance he, he took being in this Ben Stiller movie where he played sort of against type a much more pathetic, less like happy go lucky character. Right. Uh, critics hated. Uh, I actually think it's one of his better performances, but then, you know, rebound of Liar Liar, Truman Show. Right. I mean, but the, the, the thing of note is for Cable Guy, he made $20 million. Mm-hmm. And so already after t- like two years being in like the A list, like comedian, go to comedian performer, He's commanding $20 million for a film, um, which was Ben Stiller's first, you know, directorial, uh, uh, like, debut, um, which is not insane, but just shows you how early in his, like, Hollywood career he was able to command such a, uh, because I think we're going to get to this later about who he was on set and in Hollywood and what he was demanding for his performances. Yeah. Um, in 1998, um, he decided to try and shake it up, if you will. Um, and that's when he starred in The Truman Show. Um, and this was the movie that I think really showcased him trying to not be set in this world of zany characters yeah. who kind of get into antics. Um, it was super critically acclaimed. There was lots of talk about an Oscar nomination. Um, that did not happen. No. Uh, but he did finally win his first Golden Globe um, for Best Picture, um, and it was a huge, huge success. Um, in that same documentary, he talks about how the Truman Show was him. Like it yeah. was a, a huge parallel to like what was happening in his life. I've stepped through the door. The the door is the realization that this us is seaside. It's it's the dome. This is the dome. This isn't real, you know? This is a story. There's the the avatar you create and the cadence you come up with that is pleasing to people and uh, takes them away from their issues and makes you popular. And then at some point you have to peel it away. And, you know, it's not who you are. He has the world's most recognizable face. He can't disappear. At some point you have to live you know, your true man. I mean, Truman Show really became a, um, a prophecy for me. In 1999, Carrie played the lead in Man on the Moon, which was the Andy Kaufman biopic. Um, he got his second Golden Globe uh, in a row. 
Um, and he received his first Screen Actors Guild nomination. Um, again, did not get an Oscar nomination. I think he's also kind of searching for maybe something different in his career in 2004. He stars in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, directed by Michel Gondry. Michel? Bonjour. Michel? Yeah. Um, You're doing great, kid. Thanks. Uh, another very highly praised uh, film um, where his co-star gets an Oscar nomination, but he does not. Um, his co-star... But Kirsten Dunst deserved that nomination. Is that... It, no, no. No, that's not her? Kate Winslet. Oh. Kate Winslet. Okay. The movie's about Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst. Oh, my God. Mark <laughs> P.S. Mark Ruffalo in that film, In Underwear Dancing. Uh, Thank you. Mark Ruffalo... All the time. You're Counter- right. Counterpoint. You're right, you're right. When you're right, you're right. Um, but he was nominated for a Golden Globe and a BAFTA award for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. He, he's been, I mean, 2000, or mid-2000s, he's in Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Um, which I think if you, this is a small sidebar, but if you've read those books, which I did... Um, I know the movie was not well liked about among people that uh, read the books, but if you look at his performance and then you look at um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's performance on the show, I think Neil Patrick Harris' performance is very much informed by Jim Carrey's performance because yeah. Count Olaf's not really a funny person in the no, books. He's no. like really dastardly and mean, yeah. and I think the, a lot of that like strange humor. The show is not for me. Just a sidebar. I watched a couple episodes. I was like, no, same. I like Absolutely same. I was like, I like the books. I'll just leave them there. Right. But I think Neil Patrick Harris is really doing Jim Carrey. I am your beloved Count Olaf, and welcome to my loverly home. May you find solace within the womb-like warmth of its downy gloom, or as the Greeks. In the ancient times would say, Orphanus and Cribbo. Something, something, something. Music builds to a crush and ooh, ending on the right foot and strike a passing. Not exactly what I was going for, but you get the idea. I've I was thinking about this, like, who are the other people on this planet who can do what Jim Carrey does? Yeah. You know, and I think when we get to Bruce Almighty, we see Steve Carell yeah. kind of like rise to the occasion. But also thinking about like, uh, there is, uh, I think recently there was a, an interview that came out about Robin Williams. Yeah. And how he was feeling, you know, him and Robin, Robin Williams and Jim Carrey were, you know, kind of do, driving in the same lane of doing yeah. the same kind of comedy, very physical. Well, Robin Williams was really gunning for the role of the Riddler for years mm. and obviously never got it. Right. So, like, yeah. Yeah. So uh, between like, Especially Robert Williams and Jim Carrey, Steve Carell to a lesser extent. Like yeah. I just don't even see anyone else in the same like field, you know? Yeah. Like Neil Patrick Harris, like nice try. Like I, yeah. I think he's very fine. That's I'm not exactly. mad at him, but like yeah. he's not on. She doesn't have the range. I'm sorry, she doesn't <laughs> have the range. Horton Hears a Who was a last big success, but mostly because it's an animated right. for kids branded movie. But um, you know, he tries one more kind of. Uh, antics movie in 2008's Yes Man. Yeah. Where it's kind of like a thing happens and Jim Carrey right. antics. Um, and it's, you know, it was like a medium performance. Right. Uh, then he kind of like retreats again into more indie stuff. 2009, he does I Love You, Philip Morris based on a, a true story, um, which is like an indie film. Um, and yeah, and once we get into like the late 2009, 2010 area, you know, he does A Christmas Carol, Mr. Popper's Penguins. And he does Kick-Ass 2, and then right before Kick-Ass 2 comes out, 
he basically denounces it. Denounces it. Yeah. And that's because was it like two weeks before it came out? Sandy Hook happened. Yeah. And I completely understand where he's coming from. Yeah. But it's one of those things where like you didn't think about this beforehand. Right, right. All you of didn't a sudden, think about the violence that was like All of a sudden gun violence is bad. <laughs> yeah. And so I mean, I understand. I think he came from a really good place when it comes to that, but right. like it's one of those things that makes me like I don't know. It annoys me when people say say like, oh, people don't people aren't charitable until something bad happens to them. But this feels like an odd case where it's just yeah. like you were shooting fake guns in a movie and then like now And then you're, here is real. You're Canadian, sir. Right. I feel like it weighed on <laughs> you, you beforehand. Knew. Um in two thousand twelve, uh he rejoined Jeff Daniels for the sequel of Dumb and the Dumb and Dumber sequel of Dumb and Dumber Two, um, which I don't have much to say <laughs> about that. Um, but like, nice try, I guess. Um, and really since then, he's been kind of a crazy person. Yeah, a little bit. A little, a little bit, bit of a crazy a person. Bit. <laughs> you know, he, um, he's currently, you know, uh, executive producing I'm Dying Up Here, which is right. a Showtime show. Which is loosely based on his time in Los Angeles at Comedy At Club. the Comedy, yeah. yeah. the Comedy Cellar? That store? Store. Something. Comedy Store. Um, and, you know, he's been doing a lot of art. Mm-hmm. He's been painting. Painting a lot of hot topics. Yeah. Um, you know. Sorry, I'm eating pickles too close to the mm-hmm. mic. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part of uh, Jim Carrey's life is that he, he has said that he's battled depression. He, um, has said that he took a, a medicine for that. He now says that he is no longer taking medications right. or any stimulants, um, including coffee, um, Jim Carrey has been married twice. He was his first marriage was to a, a former actress uh, and c- comedy star waitress uh, Melissa Warmer or Wilmer, um, and they have a daughter together. Um, it is Jim Carrey's only um, child, um, who, by the way, was a contestant on American Idol in 2012. Right. Um, they he later um, married his Dumb and Dumber co-star Lauren Holly, um, but it lasted less than a year. Um, he also dated, uh, famously, famously Renee Zellweger, who was his co-star in Me, Myself, and Irene. Um, and they were engaged for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2005, he was very famously, um, attached to Jenny McCarthy and they were crazy together talking yeah. about like autism. Well, I was and- going to say, and this started his anti-vaxxer beliefs, yeah. which I'm not sure he still holds to this day because he hasn't done an updated interview because probably behooves him not to. Right. But as of 2009, yes, he believed that vaccinations cause autisms. Um, and in fact, uh, he led a green our vaccines march on Washington, D.C. to advocate for the removal of toxic substances from children's vaccines out of a belief that children had received, quote, too many vaccines too soon, many of which are toxic. None of this has been proven. Whatever and, the like, fuck that yeah, means. Yeah, and in fact, most of this has been proven to be false. Yeah, like, get your fucking vaccines, America. Jesus yes, Christ. please do that. Um, also, another controversy, uh, Jim Carrey's former girlfriend, Katharina White, um, she was found dead of a prescription drug overdose, um, and they met in 2012. He was a pallbearer for her funeral. Um, her husband, so after Jim Carrey and her right. dated, she got married, um, 
he filed a wrongful death suit lawsuit against Jim Carrey, claiming that he had used his, quote, immense wealth and celebrity status to illegally obtain and distribute prescription drugs involved in her death. So basically, he was blaming right. Jim Carrey and his access to drugs and this crazy Hollywood lifestyle, and that led to her, like, uh, addiction and, and her overdose. And there's been other lawsuits since then that have been thrown out tied to this, um, and I don't want to go too far into them because they feel very tabloidy. Right. But they're out there. They exist. You can Google them if you really want to get into the gossipy nitty gritty. But I feel like that's not our place. But yeah, it's a but that is a I think that lawsuit is worth talking about just because it's like, yeah, I mean, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey's, you know, said, you know, it's a a shame, you know, we loved each other and her troubles were born long before I met her. Sadly, this is a very tragic end. Right. I mean, he he was very respectful. And I, I don't I think he handled it very well for what a fucking awful situation it was. I mean, I think everybody was in pain in that situation. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, Jim Carrey also became a U.S. citizen in 2004. He remains a dual citizen of the United States and Canada. Um, You know, okay, uh, vaccine. And he also believes in transcendental meditation, which is a hard thing for me to say. What's the story? He wrote himself a check for $10 million when he was... In like in 1991 or whatever. You know, I mean, I'm the guy who wrote the 10 million dollar check to himself and uh, had it come to fruition. And I'm the guy who had the uh, substitute teacher in grade two who said that uh, you know, whenever I want something, I pray to the Virgin Mary and I ask her for it and I promise something in return and I get whatever I want. So didn't you write yourself a check? I heard yeah. that you did. Is that true? I wrote myself a check for 10 million dollars for acting services rendered, and I gave myself uh, five years. My dad could never afford a bicycle, so I went, okay. And I went home and I prayed for a bicycle and promised I'd say the rosary in return. And then I got uh, a bicycle, showed up in my living room, brand new Mustang bike. I I put it in one of the scenes in Eternal Sunshine, a Mustang bike with a banana seat. Just before Thanksgiving 1995, I found out that I was going to make $10 $10 million. So you visualized... From then on, it was whenever I wanted something to happen, I manifested it. I stood there in an open field like this with my arms out going, I'm ready, come on. He buried that check, though, with his father, I think, is yeah. what the story is. Um, but yeah, I, there are interviews where he's saying, you know, like, I just believe if you if you believe it, it happens. I can manifest right. anything in my life, which is a very romantic thing, but also to me... Reads a little bit like privilege. Right. Uh-huh. The, um, it's funny. One of the things I, I read about uh, a while ago, um, and I, I've only sort of heard smattering since then. I know in the um, mid to early 2000s, uh, he made what was at the time considered one of the worst deals in Hollywood because it really hinged on him still being successful, which was instead of being paid up front, he would tie a lot of his acting deals to the back-end profits of a film. Mm. Um, and I believe, uh, I'm trying to, uh, the movie Yes Man, which I think ended up paying off, uh, he for he forewent a paycheck in, in lieu of uh, 34 point something percent of the profit of the film, and he actually did make quite a lot of money on that. Wow. But when he signed that deal initially... Uh, for films, it was obviously looked at like, wow, crazy yeah, why would you do that? Because like, y- your movie has to be successful. Yeah, and that's kind of crazy, but for him, it's like every movie he made was just like, right. millions of dollars. It was, it was just like bank. And so, I mean, I don't know what more to say about his beliefs about the secret and like visualizing yeah. stuff coming to him. Like, there's certainly, 
is something to be said about, you know, like believing yourself and, and doing the hard Positivity, work. Positivity, yeah. There's, mm-hmm. but also it's like, he was a tall, attractive, right. enough, funny white dude who clearly had laid the groundwork meeting people. Right. Um, and especially if you are, if you have, there are a lot of uh, stories about how he's maybe not the easiest person to work with. Yes. Um, and so I, I, all the like all the interviews and things I saw in the documentary, I was like, Viola Davis would never do this. Well, that's I mean, I even thought about. There's one part in the man on the in the Jim and Andy documentary, which once again is on Netflix, where um, in character of uh, not even of Andy, but the, Tony Clifton. Tony Clifton, he barges into the Paramount yeah. lot to see Steven Spielberg into yeah. like Steven Spielberg's office. And it's one of those things that, like, never got out. Like, no one's heard of it, and everybody treated it sort of as, like, oh, it's a quirky method thing. But could you imagine, like, any actress doing that? Like, even if we went back to, like, Joan Crawford, if she, yeah. like, oh my God. burst into Selznick's office, like, people would be like, she's insane. Put yeah. her in an institution. Yeah. Like, like, she would be a bitch. I mean, imagine yeah. Sandra Bullock yeah. doing that. If, like, for a more, like, modern thing, like, people would be like, never work with that bitch. Yeah. She thinks she can barge in here, we'll do whatever, whatever. You know, but... Jim Carrey, I mean, it's really hard and complicated because I think Jim Carrey has done really, like, legendary, like, these yeah. roles, and he's, it's so good, and so, like, even seeing that documentary was so hard, but then, like, seeing the movie, I'm like, fuck, it's yeah. good, and, but at the same time, it's like, there are a lot of actors out there who can do good work and not be an asshole or not be complicated Absolutely. and weird. And I like, will, I will, the one defense I will give Jim Carrey, because I have some things that make me so angry at that documentary, um... Milos Forman, R.I.P., um, fed into it, was a total enabler, mm. and could have nipped it in the bud. Right. Like, right at the beginning, I think. But... I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair to him, he was young, like 20-something-year-old. You, you mean Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. I was going to say, Milos no, Forman no, no. was not young. No, like, imagine <laughs> if you're, like, 22 years old, and you're getting paid $10 million to look, yeah. act like an idiot, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, how are you going to not know that that's, you know, someone's right. just like, hey, you need to, like, act this type yeah. of way. I mean, I... There's always responsibility to be laid on his lean shoulders, um, but certainly, I mean, if he's if he's getting away with it from the very beginning, yeah. you know, what else is he gonna know? Um, so yeah, that's I think that's like a uh, a kind of you know that's a good rewind, that's a good overview of his career. Yeah, I don't think we skipped anything like majorly of importance. Yeah, he hasn't been doing much of late. Yeah, he's mostly just been kind of doing paintings about the political situation yeah, we are exactly. currently in. Um, he did kind of have like a breakdown on an interview on the red carpet, like yeah. maybe a couple years ago. He truly gives no fucks about Hollywood anymore. Yeah. I think Jim Carrey's thing or situation is he's desperate to be liked. Yeah. He's desperate to be. And once again, we're just playing armchair psychologists. Yeah. Neither of us have a degree or anything, but you're right. You, you I don't. think, yeah. Uh, I've been hiding this for <laughs> actually. Even it, you know, in that documentary, how he says, you know, oh, that Jim character, when he's playing Tony Clifton. Yeah. He says, oh, Jim, he's really sad. He's really, you know, in a dark place. And you can just, I don't right. know. I mean, and then seeing when Jim Carrey's on the red carpet now, he's just like, nothing is real. Yeah. All my dreams came true. And still, here I am. Nothing. That documentary bums me out a bit because I actually really like Man on the Moon and uh, that really it colored my perception. It bums me the fuck yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about the documentary? Should since it's a passing, or should we wait till fast forward to really let's, get to let's, that? Let, yeah, okay. let's keep going. Uh, let's get into our our our, our one star reviews. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Sure. He has a ton of movies early on. 
that I would say are almost unwatchable. Uh, All in Good Taste from 1983, which is essentially like um, almost like a Canadian Porky's. It's really, really bad. Um, and uh, there's a movie called Rubberface, which is not its original name. It was changed to the name Rubberface after Jim Carrey um, started success. But the original name was just called Introducing Janet. And I'm once again, I'm genuinely saying some of these films are unwatchable. But I did make it all the way through one called Finders Keepers, which was uh, directed by uh, Richard Lester, as we mentioned last week. And uh, let me tell you, like, for much praises I gave Richard Lester, the reverse is true of uh, 1984's Finders Keepers. Hello, Uncle Mario. Shut up. All right, now listen to me, the two of you. There's a train arriving here in a couple of hours. What train? And on that train is Lane Biddlecoff's body. But I'm Lane Biddlecoff. Didn't I say shut up? What are you talking about? There's a stiff showing up here with your idiot son's name on it. What? That's right, he's no longer a living deserter, now he's a dead hero. There must be some mistake. Of course it's a mistake! But the point is, we're the only ones who know it! But, I'm not even gonna name any of those the worst, I'm just saying, like, his early career, until once bitten, maybe just stay away from... Avoid. Uh, avoid. But I think, and I don't know how you're, you, like, I don't really hope I'm not stealing your pick, but, like... I finally watched the number 23, which is a movie I'd been avoiding for a really right, long time. Right. And that movie is trash. And once again, we're here to, to play judge and jury on Jim Carrey. Right. He's a huge part of that. I mean, it's a dumb script. Mm-hmm. It's possibly one of the, like, the lines that these characters have to say and yeah. like him and Virginia Madsen and Danny Houston just giving some of their career worst performances because they have to say this garbage. But like, he, Jim Carrey plays a man who's like going through, he's a animal control person and he's kind of going through what seems like a midlife crisis. He's late for meeting his wife one night, uh, on his birthday, uh, and she, um, is waiting in a bookstore. bookstore and she finds this, the, this rattiest, stupid book that's just hanging out on a shelf mm-hmm. called The Number 23. And she's like, oh, it's really interesting. You would love and it. You would love it. And she buys it for him and he becomes obsessed. And this is a very Cliff Notes version. But, like, it's all about how everything's number 23 and everything is the number 23 in some ridiculous turn of fate. And I don't, genuinely, if everything is the number 23, I still don't care. Right. It doesn't affect me a at all. A lot of montages of him looking yeah. around and, like, two, three, yeah. two, three, parking and, 23. But they're, and they're the most ridiculous things. Like, he could be... Be like this is the number four and if you add it to the number 19 out of nowhere for yeah. no reason yeah. it's 23 and the whole like oh like oh 9-11 is right. 23 and like Osama bin Laden 23 and yeah. Kurt Cobain 23 yeah why this color why did you choose this color I don't know you tell me red number five red is 27 plus five is 32 which is you're reaching now <laughs> Sure, there are differences. Fingerling's a detective. I'm a dog catcher. He met Fabrizio when he was 32, whereas I met you when I was... 23. And the day we met was? September 14th. 9-14. 14 plus 9 is? 23. We married October 13th. 10-13. 23. Suicide Blonde said it ruled her world. She killed because of it. Then she handed it on to Fingerling on his 32nd birthday. 23 reversed. Fingerling called it fate. Do you know what fate is? 32. I rest my case, Your Honor. And so what makes this, what makes Carrie's performance particularly worse is he's playing um, 
this very milk toast sort of normal guy who I never once cared about. Mm-hmm. And he's also playing the dual role of the um, protagonist of this novel yeah. who's like uh noir, slick, mm-hmm. 40s detective, but in a modern setting. And he can't, he's not convincing as either role. Like the, the, I felt like the detective was supposed to be kind of like swarthy, like oh, yeah. sexier, had this dark side. It never really comes across. He comes off just like from the moment you meet him, like a maniac. And it's sort of, I've said this before, and I know it's probably not an unpop- a popular opinion, but my problem with like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is that there's no point in which Jack Nicholson seems sane. Right, right. That's this character. On the other hand, the Milktoast character, who is slowly going insane, never really seems insane. Just seems boring throughout the entire film. Right. It's like nothing is going on in his life that he's like, right. nothing matters. He's like, oh, well, this is a book. And I'm like, girl, you got bills to pay? Right. Or Like literally. And they're, like, and this is, I think this is my problem with the, with the Jim Carrey movies. Well, it's my problem with most Jim Carrey movies, but sometimes it's very successful depending on who the writer is. Um, Jim Carrey goes after these high concept films there's always like this thing happens and it's this big freak event whether it be he's given the power of god of the god or he can't lie or he receives a magical mask or he finds a book that's the number 23 (laughs) and depending on how well it's written the like he can land the execution right and uh eternal sunshine spotless mind is a high concept film yeah gorgeously written yep but this movie is trash, yeah, gonzo garbage, and he can't he can't carry it. And I feel really bad because I actually one of the things I liked about the movie was he was paired with Virginia Matson, which is probably like an a really like comparable age. Uh-huh. Like yeah, because sure. then very next year he does the movie Yes Man, and his love interest is Zoe Dashnell, <laughs> who's like fifteen years younger than him. Yeah, she's like in the early yeah, stage exactly. of her career. Like she's barely yeah, yeah. So like, for sure. I, so I was like really happy to see him paired with somebody like actually age appropriate. Yeah. But like, but he's given her nothing. She's giving him nothing back in terms of their acting. Danny Houston shows up to be like all smooth and shit, and like is given no one anything. Logan Lerman's Logan in it. Logan Lerman's in it. And, yeah. Like it's weird here. He's like, Dad, I look yeah. number twenty three too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like trying so hard to relate to his father. Yeah. Maybe that's the one successful thing in the movie. It's just like, love me, Dad. Uh, but uh, the worst part of that movie is the author of said book is Topsy Kretz. Yes, Topsy. Chris. And then, like, later in the movie, they have to, like, let us in, like, uh, you mean top secret? <laughs> my, and I was like, get the fuck out of my life. That was not clever. <laughs> it was fucking stupid. Uh, my, one of my favorite, uh, bit, uh, moments from the, from that movie, uh, is Tom Link plays the owner of the bookstore, Tom Link, who played, uh, Andrew on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. And, um, and he gets to, del- he's like, it's self-printed, self-published, and it's by an author I've never heard of. Looks like old Topsy here hasn't written anything before or after since. 
that poor, yeah. like he's after just trying to get some fucking work, and yeah. he, they make him say the line "Tops." He never wrote another book. Cannot believe it. Uh, uh, yeah, Joel Schumacher, uh, who's also attracted to high concept projects and just rarely pulls that like lands that execution. And yeah, I I just really hated the number twenty three. I actually watched it this morning, um, and I'm kind of, kind of glad I did because it solidified. I was like, oh, there's so many to choose from, and I was like, no, there's not. There's this. This is it. Um, but yeah. Louis, what's your one-star review? My pick is the other amnesia-related film <laughs> of Jim Carrey's, which is 2001's The Majestic. <laughs> I, I think it's a very pretty-looking film. I'll give it that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I watched both of them, like, back-to-back. Oh, and God. And The Majestic's, like, nine hours long. <laughs> it really is. And I thought, Jim Carrey was like, wait a second. I want to make another amnesia film. Wait, when was uh, number 23 made? Uh, number 23 was made in 2008. Okay, so The Majestic came first. Yeah. And so this was him... Oh, trying, sorry, 2007, sorry. This was him trying to be earnest yeah. amnesia before he went, like, crazy amnesia. Because, um, spoiler alert, number 23 is amnesia. Um, the Majestic was uh, made in 2001, and it is a, like, weird romance, period piece, communism, amnesia. Um, directed by, directed and produced by Frank Darabont. Who's, in his defense, Frank Darabont's trying to make a Frank Capra film. He's trying to make that sort of, like, 1930s, like, wholesome with a bit of an edge, you know. God. Really, like. God. Bit of an edge. Kill me. (laughs) Fuck. But anyways, go on. Now that your mouth is full of popcorn. Bit of a fucking, I, I, I don't know what's happening in. Mr. Carey's life at this moment, but this, this was his like swing for the fences, like Oscar bait, middle of America trash. Um, this movie, he plays Peter Appleton and he's a, like a screenwriter in Hollywood, but like he went to a meeting once for like communists in college. And so red scare is happening and they fire him. He like gets in a car accident cause he gets fucking wasted, falls into a river, washes up on a shore of like this small suburban town. And all of them are like, you look familiar. And, but also, like, underneath it's like, our town has really given a lot to the war. Like, all of our boys are dead. And one fucking guy just, like, decides, oh, you're my son. We thought he died in the war, but, like, no, you're him instead. And the thing is they are going to reopen the Majestic, the theater. And there's also a love interest who, like, she thought he was dead. Yeah. Um, And... It's just such, like, aggressive, like, America. And I, like, I think the number 20 is trash, but I think it's also, like, silly. This is not silly. This is, like, you know, so, you know, the the town, like, loves him because he's back and, you know, they're opening the theater and, like, oh, good Americana fun. But also on the, the fucking communist hunters are coming. They finally find him. And they're like, bro, this isn't you. This is you here. You you were trying to, like, fuck us up. He finally admits that he knows he's not Luke. Um, he's a screenwriter. Uh, he goes to this hearing, and he's, like, ready and willing to, like, talk shit about other random people. But then, out of nowhere, like, I don't know, a fucking angel touches him or some shit. Um, the spirit of America. <laughs> um, and he's like, no, I'm not going to. The America represented in this room is not the America he died defending. I think he'd tell you your America is bitter and cruel and small 
Chamber will come to order. I know for a fact his America was big. Bigger than you can imagine. With a wide open heart. Where every person has a voice. You are out of order, Even if sir. you don't like what they have to say. And all I could think of was like, in what wide America <laughs> could some fucking Jim Carrey lo looking motherfucker just be yelling at a judge about his rights? And the judge is like, okay, fine. <laughs> and that's literally what happens. The resolution is he's, he just, he, he walks away from the bench. He literally just excuses himself. I could not fucking believe <laughs> Jim Carrey doing his darndest for the MAGA crowd. And like, I mean, truly, this movie just feels like a, the most sellout of all of his movies. Like, I would rather see him doing the awful shit stain, like, slapstick bro comedies of his early career than this, like, true sellout of a fucking movie because he's done serious roles where I think it's good and like interesting. This was just so like wet cardboard. What else, Gavin? What did we not like? I mean, I mentioned Yes Man a little bit. I watched that movie. Like what's worse than a high concept Jim Carrey movie than a high concept Jim Carrey movie where nothing really matters. Right. At least in like Liar Liar, you have like, there's magic that's keeping him. Literally the plot of Yes Man is that he has to say yes to everything because he decides to. Right. Like, yes. there's no dramatic tension there. Yes, man, it was, like, the last attempt at these, like, high right. concept, like, a thing happens. Right. Um, I also, love Liar Liar. Oh, yeah, I like Liar Liar. Can we talk a minute about, specifically, Ace Ventura 1. Yeah, which is transphobic garbage. And The Mask. So... You don't like The Mask? No, listen, listen. Okay. So, I was, like, so excited and so ready to rewatch Ace Ventura. I'm so sorry. And then I was, like... It's that thing when you remember something from your childhood and you're like, oh man, I loved it. I fucking loved it. And you rewatch it, like now as a grown adult with like thoughts and, you know, opinions. Yeah. And you're like, holy fuck. This is not only, I mean, and his charm is undeniable. The performance is undeniable. But Jesus Christ, 20 years ago, we were not nice people. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, if you, if you've forgotten the, the quote villain of the movie is this trans woman who is the police uh, detective yeah. sheriff character. Yeah. And she's like this double agent who has be quote, become a woman right. to like hide her identity. And the bit, <sighs> she's also like sickeningly horny, but, and like, yes. So like the joke, it then becomes the that she's like predatory. The joke has, is, is that she has made out with everyone on the force. Right. And when she's finally revealed in a most very disgusting and kind of, I, Watching it in my lens of snowflakiness, yeah. I guess, I was like, oh my god, they're assaulting this woman. You know, like, he's literally stripping the clothes off of her to reveal right. that she is actually a man. Um, and the gag is you see, like, a penis in her pants. Right. Um, and literally the entire, like, this high tension scene where, like, everyone's guns are drawn. They all, like, wipe their mouth in disgust because the joke is that they maybe have been kissed by her or whatever. Right. Before that, though, when he realizes what's going on... And she has kissed him. He has an extended scene where he, like, burns his clothes. Right. He's naked in the shower, like, crying. Crying, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. I loved Ace Ventura. You know? And, like, no. Pets Attacks, like, it's so silly and it's so fun. But ah! <laughs> could not believe. Yeah. Moving on to The Mask, which I think is... Which holds up better. Yeah. But I've, I didn't rewatch, so. I rewatched it and, um, you know, Cameron Diaz is gorgeous and yeah. really funny in this. Um, but I couldn't help but watch this and think, 
this movie is what gave permission to a lot of like men our age. Oh, like nice guys. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. It gave a lot of permission to quote nice guys to never give up and persist right. and like keep going for the girl right. even though yeah. she says no. He's real gross when he's in the mask. When he's in the mask and yeah. he, there's a, a scene in the park where he's like, come on, baby, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, oh my God. Kiss me, my dear. And I will reveal my croissant. I will spread your pate. I will dip my ladle in your vicious walls. She is so coy. I remember as a kid wanting to be as funny and like right. plasticky and rubbery as Jim Carrey and the mask. I mean, smoking and all that. Right. It's silly and it's fun. But also, I can only imagine if I was a straight person, right. I guess. Like, and being like, oh, yeah, like, if you're just nice and, like, keep going after the girl, like, and that's part of, like, this gross, right. toxic masculinity, blah, 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 you okay. guys get it. Um, okay, let's get into our five-star reviews. This was a hard... Um, was it? It was for me, because I think... For you. <laughs> shut up. I think Liar Liar, if you're, it yeah. holds up to this day, there's nary a thing that's really super gross about that movie. Plus, Susie Kurtz is always in my plus column. She's fantastic. Um, but I think it's really hard to deny The Truman Show. Um, the Truman Show, I remember watching a long while ago, and it just is that Jim Carrey's able to play like the silliness but then also slowly peel away and reveal that, like, life is not what it seems. Yeah. And I also remember thinking, like, what a fucking high concept. And it's so well done and put together. Um, so this is a 1998 uh, movie directed by Peter Weir. Um, and it also stars Laura Linney. So good. Yeah. True queen. I love Laura Linney. Um, Ed Harris as like the kind of god. Ed, Ed Harris as the villain because that's what you do when you cast Ed Harris. True, you're not wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, it, essentially, so his name Truman Burbank. He is the star of this movie and unsuspectingly also the star of the show. His entire life is a production put up by a, a company. They bought his rights as a human being. Um, have created this massive soundstage, hired a bunch of actors, and millions of people around the world are watching Truman, you know, uh, and he, it, all of his, like from being born, his first steps, his family. And basically the movie is him slowly discovering that he, his life is not real. Um, and it's, it's sad and tragic. Also funny, but like not in a, I mean, he's, he's being physical and the physicality is there and, you know, He's giving you the stretched faces because he believes his life is this utopia right. that they've created for him um, with his best friend and his wife, who's perfect and like does really weird to the camera, like commercials for like coffee and right. like, whatever. Why don't you let me fix you some of this new Mococo drink? All natural cocoa beans from the upper slopes of Mount Nicaragua. No artificial sweeteners. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? I've tasted other Cocos. This is the best. What the hell does this have to do with anything? Tell me what's happening! Well, you're having a nervous breakdown. That's what's happening. You're part of this, aren't you? Roman! <gasps> Meryl! You are scaring me! No. You're scaring me, Meryl. 
What are you gonna do? Dice me, slice me, or peel me? There's so many choices. No! Do something! What? What'd you say? Just such a deeply yeah. interesting, complex movie. The scene, I mean, so eventually he escapes and is setting sail to what he thinks would be Fiji. Yeah. Um, and Ed Harris, who is the quote God character, but like the director of the show. Um, and Paul Giamatti's there as like one of the assistants and they're like making him go through this like storm, you know, like they're, he's, he, he might die. And at the end, it's like Truman survives this huge, awful storm and he thinks, He's did it. He's escaped and he's sailing away. And then gonk, he hits the end of the fucking soundstage. Like the sky is fake. The water is fake. Um, and he kind of just, you know, walks up the stairs there and he's, what does he say? What's the like classic line? He's like, uh, in case I don't see ya. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. <laughs> then he just kind of waves flashes a huge grin and there's and that's the end of the movie you don't know if he is out in the real world now what happened to the show like it's this and jim carrey has said you know he felt that everyone was looking at him after you know this was 1998 this was you know after he had blown up for all those movies and um and so this movie was a huge hit um cemented him as not only a comedic actor but kind of a jack of all trades um, like I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of talk about him uh, being nominated for an Oscar. It didn't happen. Right. Um, but yeah, I just love this movie. It's such like a... It's a mind fuck of a movie, but also it's like sweet and uh, just like a tragic comedy. Hear me out. Thoughts, please, Gavin? Please don't hate me, audience, or Louie, who we're currently in the apartment of. Um, I think his performance is really great in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's performance is really great in the movie. And I think the concept's really brilliant. I think that movie is boring as fuck. You're bored by it? I think that movie is so boring. I saw it in the theater when it came out. really, really enjoyed it. And I've never made it through that movie since on any rewatch. I get so bored. And maybe it relies too heavily on the twist of if he's going to get out or not. Which, once again, as you mentioned, in the end doesn't really matter because it's sort of a deeper meaning. But I think in terms of Peter Weir's direction, um, it's, like, too grandiose and too slow and too, like, um, it doesn't hit the emotional beats right in terms of the way the, 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 the writing is with the direction of the film. And I think you have a Peter Weir who's, like, this director of these sort of bigger budget um not disaster movies but like just really serious kind of high tension films um and i feel like he lost the plot and the movie loses some depth for me uh because of that because i feel so distanced from it i don't know i mean maybe i'm corny af probably am but uh, I don't. Th- I don't think it's a corny pick. I genuinely don't think it's a corny pick. So, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I was. Go- I wanted to pick. I really wanted to pick one of his comedies more, but I mean, this this oh, performance well, is just kind of undone. Then let's move into my five star review, which is also not one of his comedies, which okay. is Eternal Sunshine. I'm actually 
happy that you didn't pick it, but also like a little surprised because I thought I just feel like that's the consensus, and that might be me being really bland. But I once again mentioned this was this is not my favorite subject. Uh, he's a good subject for this podcast, but he was he's not been my favorite. And I just think Eternal Sunshine is like in terms of the height of his performance. But once again, as you mentioned, you don't see both sides of him. Mm-hmm. You don't see the like goofy mm-hmm. like um, I think. Eternal Sunshine is Jim Carrey tapping into that that broken yeah. uh, section of him. Uh, in the movie, he plays Joel Barish, and uh, he uh, meets this woman named Clementine, who's a very free spirit. They're attracted to each other in their sort of opposite sort of ways. Um, they have a really terrible breakup, and he goes to have his memory erased, and little dis- uh, which is a new procedure because it's a reality that in which um, the you can have memories slowly erased. Um, and so he has her race from him and he begins to find out that this is not the first time this has happened and they've both done it to each other. And this, this is my very, very Cliff's Notes version because I don't like, it's kind of a heady movie and I'm sure most people have seen it at this point, but, uh, but the way he's able to portray not only the sadness and the heartbreak of what it's like going through a breakup, especially with somebody you love or think you love, regardless of how you, you feel about that. Um, but also to portray the, the concept of a new love and then finding out that it's an old love. Right. If you want to be with me, you're with me. Okay. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. That speech really well. I had you pegged, didn't I? Yeah, the whole human race pegged. Hmm, probably. I still thought you were going to save my life, even after that. No. It would be different if we could just give it another go round. Remember me. Try your best. Maybe we can. Or losing bits of yourself, because that's sort of what in a relationship you do, and when a relationship ends, you do. You sacrifice bits of yourself for the people you love, and then if you lose them, regardless of how you lose them, you sacrifice bits of yourself. And I think this movie is a lot about deaths and rebirths. Um, and it's, it's just really beautiful. It's him and Kate Winslet. Um, the original script apparently was much, much more bonkers. Charlie Kaufman wrote it. Um, and Charlie Kaufman's original script, like there was a flash forward at the end with flying trains. I think I mentioned this briefly in our Kirsten Dunst episode. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Where like it was her much older and she's like about to mail all the tapes to everybody oh. of their previous memories because she realized she's been much like she does in the film. She's had her memory toyed with. And that's, you know, there's lots of interesting conversations in the film about responsibilities, uh, about, you know, this project, but like the, that's all sort of backseat to this really, um, interpersonal relationship with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. I think both of them give, you know, high watermark performances. I think Michelle Goundry's direction is sort of the perfect, like, mix of really showy, like, really showy. Yeah. 
um, and really intimate and yeah. small. And I think Carrie gives his most, uh, like he's vulnerable, his most vulnerable. Yeah. His most inside performance, um, that doesn't really rely on any of the, the tricks that you're used to from Jim right. Carrey. And you mentioned other movies in which he doesn't necessarily fall back on those, but there is an element to them. Cause even the majestic, which is bland and, you know, there's still that like, like friendly goofiness. He doesn't have any of that. Right. Here. Um, yeah, this movie, I, I, I had not seen it before this. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I had, I saw it in college and was like, a, a wreck, and B, and was like, this is me! This is about me! I thought As you, most college students do. I thought you said so. A, erect, and I was like, cool. Love no, <laughs> but once again, Mark Ruffalo dancing around in his underwear scene. So there you go, yeah. yeah. What um, is this I'm feeling? <laughs> what is this feeling? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I watched it last week, and tears, all the tears. Yeah, I like, I, I love this movie a lot, and I, I was like, this is why, you know, a lot of people talk about this movie, and how great it is, uh, the direction. You're, and you're right, it's like showy, but like, it's never too much. Right. It's always like, kind of like, he, for, somehow it is grounded in realism. Somehow, right. and it's not even just like, the Kate Winslet, Jim Carrey story all the time. You get a lot of Mark Ruffalo and a lot of Kirsten Dunst. Um, right, and, and Elijah like, Wood. Yeah, and yeah. Eli- there's a, like a whole world around yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, he, he's had quite a career, but I think it's time we move to our fast forward and okay. find out what he's up to next. As we mentioned before, uh, he has this movie out uh, now that you can maybe see in theaters, but probably not. Is it called, like, The Darkest Tale? It's called Dark Crimes. Dark Crimes. Yeah, and uh, it's on... If you have DirecTV, you can rent it now, and I'm sure you'll be it'll be available to rent in a couple months, um, which is not a drag. That's just what DirecTV does. Um, yeah, and that's a thing. The trailer's real bad, and... Uh, but also, we mentioned the Netflix documentary, which just came out this year as well. Yeah. And as I mentioned, uh, it's called Jim and Andy. If you are a fan of Jim Carrey, if you're really like a fan, don't watch this. <laughs> That's my. That did uh, not go where I thought yeah, it would go. I have said many times that it's not, I'm not in the business of telling what you should see and what you shouldn't see, only suggesting. But genuinely, and he even says it. At a point in the film that, like, Universal doesn't want him to release this footage or didn't want him to release this footage at the time because they didn't want him seeming like an asshole. He seems like an asshole. Like an asshole. Um, I, and I'm going to rant just a tiny bit real quick. Uh, I think the method is kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people that are method actors, like, really should, you know, it's like the, the, the Lawrence Olivier, Dustin Hoffman thing. Figure it out. Yeah, like, why don't you try acting? Um, I think Daniel Day Lewis, like, is one of our best actors of the generation. And I think texting people while pretending to be Lincoln is harmless. I think believing that you're inhabited by the spirit of Andy Kaufman yeah. is pretty awful, like charlatan behavior, and to make matters worse, nothing makes me angrier than playing with damaged people's emotions, and there is a scene in this movie where Andy's, Andy Kaufman's sister comes, and he stays in character, and acts like her dead brother, which I, is very manipulative. There's a scene where Andy Kaufman's illegitimate daughter, who never met him, comes and visits the set to talk with Jim in character. I'm sure somewhat cathartic at the same time fuck you that's so selfish jim carrey 
third, he pretended to die of cancer, just like Andy Kaufman died of cancer. And there's a scene, and it's not played up, and it's not played for, like, tears, but it broke me, was there's a scene where Milo Schwarman calls cut, and Danny DeVito helps him into his wheelchair. And just the look on Danny DeVito's face says to me that Danny DeVito is being forced to relive the death of his friend through Jim Carrey's, like, pursuit of a perfect performance. I am so mad at Jim Carrey for for this. Nothing has made me angrier. It's really hard to watch, but it's also, like, a huge mindfuck because the way that Jim rationalizes it all is he's like, this is what Andy felt like every day. This is what Andy... And I'm not, like, saying it's good or bad. I don't know how I feel about it. I really don't because we didn't mention it, but Man in the Moon's a pretty good movie. Oh, I like the movie a lot. The, and I don't think it's Milos Forman's best film by any means, but I think he did a great job with it. Yeah, and the performance is incredible. Stellar. Yeah. Um, I did not know who Andy Kaufman was. Oh, I'm shocked. I'm, uh, I am shocked. I, I had seen this movie before, though. This was my second watch of it. Um, and the documentary is super interesting because... His longtime girlfriend and best friend are involved in this. Right. And seems like they were up for the game. They're, like, encouraging this behavior. Um, but Jim Carrey, his thing is like, one day I looked out to the ocean and saw a pack of dolphins. And that's when I was gone. And Andy was in me. And I was like, cool. That's fucking weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, he keeps saying how, like, Andy Kaufman was always this, like, outsider, and no one got him. And even in the documentary, they're, like, behind the scenes talking to actual friends who are playing themselves in the movie, and they're like, holy shit, it looks just like him. Like, it's it, it's Andy, it's Andy, it's Andy. In the movie, there are scenes where Andy Kaufman and or Tony Clifton, his alter ego, he's making a scene and hindering work. Andy right. Kaufman would go to set of Taxi and hinder work. And his co-stars would complain about it, and shit would get riled up. In the making of this movie about Andy Kaufman, Jim Carrey would show up as Andy Kaufman and hinder work. Right. And I was like, ugh, mindfuck. Like, he's doing the thing that Andy did IRL that they're trying to capture on film. And so a part of me is like, well, that's an asshole thing. Like, let's get it fucking done. But also, like, how can I deny the performance? And like... I guess it ha- I mean it's but it's, do you but do you think somebody else doing the same thing like doing playing that role without being an asshole to everyone else involved in that film couldn't have pulled the same like same performance because I genuinely in my heart of hearts do believe that there are other people who can do someone what Jim Carrey does in that performance yes I don't think in everything Jim has done like I don't think I could see anyone else doing Ace Ventura or The Mask. No, I agree. I agree with that. In in this role, because it was like a whole makeup, yeah. hair thing, maybe. Um, but I think Jim does it very well. And as we mentioned up front, just trying to imagine anybody else getting away with some of the stuff he pulled. Truly. If, if Idris Elba was doing this shit on set... Crashed a car on yeah. the set? How? Yeah, yeah. How? And so... And that's very conflicting for me, because that's certainly, like... Ill, gross, disgusting, yeah. hate it. Um, no, I don't you know. know. To quote Betty Davis, when she saw the performance in Mommy Dearest by Faye Dunaway, 
that woman belongs in an institution, and I don't mean marriage. And that's how I feel about Jim Carrey Drag. in Man on the Moon. Yeah, it's really complicated because I think he thought that this was it. This was going to be his moment, Laganja. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I think the movie is very good. The performance is very good. I don't know if, like, the hell he put through that entire right. cast and crew is worth it. That being said, going forward, what do you hope for Jim Carrey in the future? Good old oh, rubber God. face. I don't know. I mean, I think he does a good villain. Yeah, he does good villain. I think it's I mean, when you when you give him some, like you said it best, yeah. you know, with a good script, he's able to go places. Yeah, and build off of it. Yeah, and like yeah. I mean, I saw Mr. Popper's Penguins. Oh, I'm sorry. And there is nothing there for him to do. <laughs> I had friends who told me that like they love Jim Carrey and they turned it off, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll it, just avoid that. Well, it's like if, if you give him nothing to do, he's gonna give you nothing. Yeah, I certainly don't want him doing like crime dramas in right. Poland or whatever. Right. Um, I certainly don't... I mean, I wouldn't be mad at him doing more, like, voice work, maybe, also, because he's such a talent in yeah. that arena. Um, I mean, maybe, in in my opinion, maybe, you know, uh, uh, I'm Dying Up Here just got... is just premiering a second season now. Yep. It's supposed to be a very good show. I've yet to watch it. And not, not for any reason other than I don't have showtime. <laughs> but, uh... Uh, I've, I've heard only good things about it, uh, and maybe producing should be where it's at, because in all honesty, I genuinely don't care if he acts again. Right. I, I don't, I, I feel like in this day and age, in this time, like the, the style of comedies that made him famous are sort of out of style and passe. I feel like that was proven with Dumb and Dumber 2. Yeah. Um, and so like, genuinely, I think there's, and I kind of just said it before, again earlier, I don't think there's anything that he can do now specifically that other people can't do. And I, and that's not, I'm not trying to be super shitty, but like, I don't know if he doesn't, if he genuinely doesn't want to do anything again, good. Like, so that's, I'm fine. Paint. You know, if you really want to, if that's where your heart's at, paint. Yeah. Like, I, I think maybe it also might be like, um, and I feel bad for saying this, but like, I don't think there's anything that could satisfy his ego. Yeah. I don't think that there is, like, a starring role, like, yeah. in anything that would, like, be like, aha, yes, my return. Um, <laughs> I think whatever he, like, thinks is interesting or, like, weird, yeah. he'll do. I don't think that there's a comedy out there that he would touch. I don't think the... Yeah, know. he's certainly not going to go back to sporting roles, so... Oh, yeah, no. I, I, I think, you know, uh, especially, as, I think he might maybe feel slighted by Hollywood. Yeah. So I don't think he's, like, terribly interested in, like, playing their, quote, game anymore. But, yeah, I, I would be very shocked to see him um, come back and do, like, a broad slapsticky humor type thing. I will say, complicated, weird dude who is, like, believes in weird shit, but, like, right. undeniably... Oh, a huge success. A huge success and, like, an American-Canadian? Canadian? Uh, like, icon <laughs> of, like, American film. So, yeah, that's Jim Carrey, guys. That is. Uh, real quick, just uh, I'm gonna throw it in because I can. It's our show and we do what we want. Okay. So when this episode comes out, uh, it should be before on May 20th. Uh, there's a new Adult Swim show called Joe Para Talks with You, starring comedian Joe Para. I worked on it, so I'm very excited. I'm uh, actually starring in it. No. Oh. Um, and uh, and so yeah, it premieres May 20th at midnight on Adult Swim. Cartoon Network, for those of you who don't know what an Adult Swim is, uh, it's really fucking funny. Um, Joe Parra himself is really fucking funny, and what I love about it is it's nothing, I hate, this is so cliche, but it's nothing like anything you've ever seen on Adult Swim before. 
Um, I want Rick and Morty, so... No, well, that's the... <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay. No one's our man, guys. The, uh, that was, I mean, I love it. It's near and dear to my heart. If you watch it, maybe you'll get a season two, and I will get a job again. Um, that's but, what we're doing here, guys. Yeah. Get Gavin a job get, 2018. Get Gavin a job. But, uh, yeah, watch it, love it. Uh, I hope, I really hope you guys do. It, uh, it's clearly a labor of love for Joe and everyone involved, and I was just so happy to be brought on board when I because I uh, candid completely I got the call and was like huh, Cartoon Network show it's gonna be like uh, people setting people on fire and fart jokes and I was like uh, it wasn't that no it's not uh, uh, so it. yeah I'm gonna stop talking about it now but May 20th Adult Swim midnight before we go let's go back to our picks yes thank you um, for our one star reviews my pick was 2001's The Majestic and my uh, one-star review was the number 23 from 2007. My five-star review was The Truman Show, which was in 1995. Eight. Oh, 1998. Cool. And my five-star review was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind from 2004. I'm glad we did that. We get complaints when we don't. So <laughs> there you go, guys. Uh, so that's Jim Carrey. So that's Jim Carrey. Um, I hope, I mean, super weirdo, um, but like American, Canadian, legend, um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can find us online at, at The Mixed Reviews on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. Or you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher, uh, Stitcher Radio, uh, Google Play Music. Um, also, good friends, if you want to rate and review us on iTunes, uh, our, the, Apple Podcasts, I believe is what they call themselves nowadays. Uh, please do that. It puts us in other people's feeds so they can mm. be like, ooh, what's this? Who are these two cool people? Yeah. Or at least Louie and that other person. Right, same. Um, yeah. Rating movies and whatnot. Please do that. The I will love you forever. The, the duels of tones of Louie and Gavin. Ooh, mm. baby. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks and we'll actually have our very first guest, unless that falls through and I'm a liar. Also, before we go, um, we've been doing this for a year, Gavin. We have. Um, so can't believe it. I know. Pop that champagne. Mmm. Pop the popcorn. <laughs> Pop the corn and feed the children. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Don't you want to-